Well, greetings and welcome to each one of you, to our family here at Forest Baptist Church. And if we have any guests that are with us, we'd like to thank the Lord for allowing you to be in the house with us one more time. Pray that the Lord would use the praise and worship to reveal himself to you in new ways, that you would love him more dearly, even as you leave this place. Well, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Judges, the 16th chapter. As we conclude with the fourth sermon in our series, Yield Not to Temptation. Yield Not to Temptation. Judges, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 4. And as the Lord has brought us through this summer mini-series. May he do something amazing in our hearts today. May he cause us not to go about this as routine, but that we would cherish his word, that we would desire him supremely above everything else. Judges, the 16th chapter, beginning with the fourth verse, this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him. And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please, tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak, and like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pen and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when, he was, and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out at, as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him 
and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The title of this morning's sermon text is When Temptation Turns. When Temptation Turns. And as we, pre- as we prepare to dig in, just take a moment to pause. Ask the Lord to quiet your heart. Ask the Lord to quiet your mind, that you would be still. There's so many issues of life. There's so many things going on, so many things that we even have to do today. But as we are sitting under the word of God for this moment, just pause. Pray the IOUs of devotion. I ask the Lord if you would incline your heart towards his testimony, that he would give you affections for him, that he would cause you to love his word. Oh, ask the Lord to open up the eyes of your heart that you may see wonderful and beautiful things in his word. As we come to this text, may it it leap out from the text like never before. You, Ask the Lord to unite your heart to fear his name and his name alone. That our hearts will not be divided between this world and the things of God. But then ask. Ask that the Lord will satisfy you through his word. So as you come to the text this morning, pause and allow the Lord to speak to you. Amen. You know, 1 Peter 5.8, the apostle Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your witness. You know, Peter's exhortation here in 1 Peter 5 and 8, to be watchful is both external and internal. It's external in the sense that he's saying, be be mindful of what's going on around you. Pay attention. Pay attention to where you are, who you're with, what's taking place, what you see, where you're going. He's saying, be watchful. Don't just walk around aimlessly, mindlessly, but pay attention because Satan is prowling. It's external, but this This exhortation is internal as well. And it's internal in the sense that it guard your heart. Pay attention to your emotions. Think through sin that is in your life. Uh, uh, Keep a close watch on your mind and on your heart. Where are you today? See, because... Christians are warned about the schemes of Satan because the schemes of Satan can quickly turn into deep-seated patterns of sin in your life. When I say sin, I mean not just bad things. But when I say sin, I'm talking about rebellion. I'm talking about being disobedient to God's standard. See, that's what sin is. A lot of times we think sin is out there, but sin is in here, and it wants to have its own way. Sin is disobedience, it's rebellion, it's not living for and towards God's standard. So when I say sin, I'm not talking about that little white lie. Because from God's perspective, it's not a little white lie. That lie was so costly that his son had to shed his blood lie. So when we think about sin, we have to have a proper perspective that this is not a game. And God is not a joke. Living in sin is serious. 
Pastor Jamal will often remind us that sin blinds, sin binds, and sin grinds. You've heard me say in the past that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Or how about this? Sin leads to decay, demise, and destruction. See, when sin goes unchecked in our lives, we're headed for destruction. There's a problem. There's an issue. Think think about how quickly sin spreads in your heart. It takes but a moment. It's like our lives are, are, are pieces of flammable material, and all it takes is a spark to get us going in a sinful manner. All it takes is someone to look at us wrong, and we're gone into sin. They don't even have to say anything to us. Sin spreads so quick in our hearts. We're like little Petri dishes. The bacteria is just multiplying. Think about it. Anger stews. Grumbling intensifies. Impatience develops. Gossip spreads. Laziness gratifies. Sexual sin normalized. Self-deception and rebellion grows. Sin is never content with staying at the level at what it is. It always wants more. Sin wants to consume your life. It grows exponentially. And for this very reason, because temptation quickly turns into a deep-seated sin, you must humbly recognize when you have yielded to temptation. Because we are a self-deceived people, we desperately need one another in, to be in our lives to show us blind spots, to show us when we have fallen off. Isn't that Galatians 6 and 1 where it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual shall restore him. Get it together, No. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. I'm over that sin. Let me help them. But more than that, even more than one another, we need the word of God. This is what Hebrews 4 and 12 tells us, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So in order for us to really deal with temptation that leads to sin, we have to deal with our hearts. Our text this morning provides the opportunity for us to reflect on this. The text this morning helps us to look back on what we have been learning about temptation and, and blows it up into a visual. It helps us to reflect upon our lives. We look to scripture to determine if we have yielded to temptation. We don't look to the folks down the pew to figure out if we got it right. We look to scripture to see what God's standard is on how we should live. So what's the context in the 16th chapter here in Judges? It gives us like a case study of of what happens when temptation has been yielded to? See, up to this point, Israel is now in sin. They have become comfortable. They are living just like the Philistines. And what would normally take place is during the book of Judges, the Israelites would sin. They would fall into rebellion. They would do their own thing. And then God would come with retribution. He would punish them. And then from retribution, that that would lead them to repentance. And from repentance, it would bring relief. Their oppressor would be gone. But here, Israel has become so sinful that nowhere in the narrative of Samson do the people of Israel ever cry out. They never say, help, the Philistines are oppressing us. They have become so comfortable in their sin that they don't even recognize that they're being oppressed by the Philistines. They have gotten so far from God, they could care less. 
They're just living life like everybody else and don't even realize how far they've got away from God. And here comes Samson, the 12th judge of Israel. You know, one commentary, Samson is described as a violent, impulsive, sexually addicted, emotionally immature, and selfish man. Samson is a flawed man. And he's given himself over to sin. So what happens when you do not yield to temptation? You fall into sin. Not to look at this text in an allegorical way, but when we do look at this text, we, you can see the Philistines as the people who are away from God, far from God. Almost like hell, because they have been separated from God. And in the text, you can look at Samson, and Samson is the reflection of Israel. Someone who has been set apart for God's bidding, but they are now living how they want. They have fallen into sin, determined to do what they want to do, to satisfy their own flesh. And Delilah, she's sin's temptress, sent to seduce Samson sent to whisper sweet nothings in his ear to distract him from what he was called to do. So that is where we are. And above all, in Judges, when there is no king, the people always do what is right in their own eyes. So we see from this text that There's a number of ways that you can tell if you have yielded to temptation. Have you yielded to temptation? Most of them are like, nah, I'm good, I'm straight, okay. Well, from the text, been able to come up with seven ways, seven signs, seven indications that you have yielded to temptation. What's the first? You have yielded to temptation when sin controls your passions. When sin controls your passions. In verse 4, we see that Samson, he loves a woman in the valley. And what the text is, is, is showing us is a continuation of Samson being led astray by these women. Samson is a womanizer. He thinks he's the man, and he can't have enough women. And he sees this Delilah, and he has set his affections upon her. He decides that she's going to be his woman. So he wants to enter into this relationship with her, and his passions have been set upon her, upon Delilah. Again, Satan's temptress. What are our passions? These passions are our desires, the very things that drive us, the, the reason why we go after something. So as, as Samson sees this woman, this Philistine woman, he, ha- he has to have her. In a previous chapter, chapter 14, he's chasing after another Philistine woman. And Samson is all about having what is right in his eyes. Delilah is right in his eyes. But yet, what he doesn't realize is that he is, this is the definition of a dysfunctional relationship. Samson wants to be with Delilah. Delilah wants to get paid. So it, there's a whole bunch of dysfunction. It's, he wants to get something from her, and she wants to get something from him. This is dysfunction everywhere. He wants her. She wants the money. The reputation. But not only is this a dysfunctional relationship, this is a illegitimate sinful relationship. Here you have Samson, who is a Jew, a Nazarite as that, who God commanded not to marry those who did not love him. And this is a Philistine woman. He's following his passions. So so what? I know he ain't saved. I know she ain't saved. I know they don't go to church, but... Samson still wants what he wants. Now, this is a sexually immoral relationship. 
Samson, it, it, he wants a woman. And it says in the text, he loved this woman. It doesn't say he married this woman. Samson got a girlfriend he's shacking up with. His desires, he doesn't care what the Torah says. He doesn't care how the law has come down. You know when you fall into temptation, when sin controls your passion. What are you most passionate about? Are you most passionate about getting your point across? Are you most passionate about buying that that car, that house? Are you most passionate about your career? What are you most passionate about? See, living in sin uh, turns your desires inward. What does that mean? When when sin is is, is motivating you to get stuff, then you only want stuff that you want. You're not looking to serve anyone else. You're not looking to be a blessing. You, you want to get blessed. You don't want to show up with nothing in your pocket and expecting someone always to take care of you, but yet you can't reciprocate that at any time. Living in sin just takes. We'll move through these quickly. Secondly, you've yielded to temptation when the truth of sin does not even concern you. What are we talking about? Look here in verse 5 and 6. Why, why is Delilah, again, why is Delilah in this relationship? Verse 5. And the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. The whole purpose of her relationship with Samson is to bring him down. Samson has been making the Philistines look like fools the entire last three chapters. And they want their revenge. They want their payback. They want to hurt him like he's been hurting them. And her whole purpose is to bring him down. Beloved, that sin and temptation you plan with is not for your joy. It's not for your pleasure. It's there to bring you down. But verse 6 is what amazes me. Because she tells Samson what she wants to do to him. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound. That one could subdue you. What in the world is going on? She specifically tells the truth to Samson, and he keeps going in the relationship. You know you, you've fallen into sin. You know you yielded to temptation when you know the truth, but you still keep going. You ain't got a care concern in the world. You know it's bad for you. You know you, you should go left instead of right. You know you should go down and not up, but you go the way that sin tells you, and it's like, oh, well, no big deal. I try harder next time. Three times in this text, she tells Samson, how can I bind you? How can I wrap you up so you can't get loose? She is, she is straight up. But you know what? Living in sin will make you believe what you want to believe. Living in sin, you, you pick the pieces of the story you want to narrate and tell everybody else. You know he ain't no good and she ain't no good, but when you come home to mama and daddy or grandma and grandpa, you tell them about the good part. Well, he got a job. What about all the other stuff that you picking them up, taking them to work, that, that, that you cashing this check for? I'm like, like what about everything else? Because you want to believe something to be true, that's a lie. And you, you are so, we're so willing to fool ourselves because sin does that. We have these desires and we want to meet them so bad that we want to bend reality and able to get what we want. 
this type of person usually says, why is everyone against me? Why don't, why won't nobody listen to me? Why don't nobody like her? Because when you're bending the truth for your own reality. Third, you have yielded to temptation when you give in to sin in order to avoid doing hard things. What do we mean? Verse 16, see here. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. What does that mean? That he was just so miserable and bothered by her asking, how can I bind you? How can I bind you? How can I bind you? He just said, okay, all right, I'll tell you. Instead of being wise enough to cut off the relationship, he gives in to sin in order so he won't be, have to be bothered no more. Sin, we have yielded to temptation when we don't do the right thing when we know it's necessary. We rather avoid the conflict. We, we don't want people to see us as the, as the old preachy Christian. You know, I, I wouldn't want nobody to see me like that. So we go with the flow. We, we do what everyone else is doing because we don't want to rock the boat, even if it's sinful. Beloved, living in sin will weaken your resolve. What does that mean? That means when you live in sin, you, you slowly lose the ability to stand up to temptation. You can't say no. You just give in because you don't want to be bothered. So sin just runs over you. The type of things this person says is, if they like it, I love it. No, you know they wrong. And you just don't want to tell them. Because you don't want conflict. Because you're afraid that you might lose a friend. Or you're afraid what they may think about you. But if, if the Lord is saying, go grab a brother and rescue them, then we have a job to do. Have you yielded to temptation? Fourthly, you have yielded to temptation when your heart is surrendered to sin. When your heart is surrendered to sin. Verse 17. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. What is Samson doing? He is surrendering his entire heart over to this woman. See, Proverbs 4.23, but doesn't it say, keep your heart with all diligence? For from it flows the springs of life, and from it flows the issues of life. We're to guard our heart because it's the center of who we are. And when we give someone our heart, that is the highest level of intimacy. I have now attached myself to this person. But yet, when we yield to temptation, we will most often attach ourselves to sin. I believe here that Samson, he just wanted to be accepted. He wanted to please her. His, his heart was open to her. He was afraid of losing her. Think about your deepest relationships. Think about your marriage or your, your best friend, your homeboy. Think about those who are closest to you, those who you, who you tell everything to. Think about those people that have that express line to your heart and to your mind. Because there's some people that they give us advice, you're like, yeah, whatever. But this person gives us advice, you say, oh, yeah, I need to do that. Think about that. Do that person love Jesus? Because if that person is not a Christian, you have yoked yourself up with a sinner. And that person would always draw you further away from God before you draw them anywhere near God. 
these close relationships. And the reason why we have these close relationships with unbelievers, with those who, who deny Christ, who those who keep giving us bad advice, you look at their life and you're like, you telling me how to do this relationship? The reason why it's happening is because living in sin will make you fearful. You're just scared about being by yourself. You're just scared of having, having to do this Christian walk alone. Yet Christ has come that we will not ever be alone. These are people that you just more comfortable. I'm just more comfortable with them. Or maybe you just feel like you can't do any better. This is not so. Have you yielded to temptation? Five. You have yielded to temptation when you believe you can free yourself from sin when you choose. Look through the story. In verses 7, 11, verse 13, verse 17, each time, after Samson has told her how to be bound, he, she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, and he jumps up expecting that he will have the strength to get out that hole. It's almost like he's playing a dangerous game of roulette. He just, he's, he's the, the excitement of this Philistine woman in this game they playing. So he keeps telling her different things that bind him, and he says, and he's thinking in his head, you know, it really doesn't matter what I tell her, because whatever she binds me with, I just get out of it myself. He's bound with a bowstring. That is animal, like an animal ligament that has not been dry. He's bound with new rope. His head is, his hair is like woven in a loom. And then lastly, he tells her that you can shave my head. And it almost seems like he's been doing this game with God so long that he just suspects that even if my head is shaved, I still get out of it. Even if if they take away everything that makes me a Nazarite, I can still get out of it. Beloved, a bunch of us, we walk around every day like, I, well, I know I'm in sin, but you know what? Last time I was able to get by, you know, and, and, and this time I, I should be able to get out of this. And, and we create situations and that we have to try to leap out of like we're Superman. And we're fooling ourselves time and time again that I can get out of it when I want to. I can put the bottle down when I want to. I can leave the weed alone when I want to. I, I'll stop going over to her house when I feel like it. Oh, uh, he, he, he ain't got me whipped. I do what I want. God have mercy on us. Because Samson was presuming on God's grace, living for his own purposes and not Yahweh's. See, but we see what happens, right? Samson's sin fully overtakes him, and this is like the most heartbreaking verse of the entire passage. Verse 20. And, Sam, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He had gotten to a point where he had presumed on God's grace so much, God said, go ahead. Have at it. You think you're so tough. God have mercy on us because we keep going in our sin and we keep going in our sin. And there's going to be a moment where God's going to say, well, go ahead then with your bad self. Figure it out this time. So much so that people who even thought they were Christians, thought they were Christians, will be revealed because they never really loved Jesus. They just liked his stuff. 
and his spirit will depart and you will have no more grace, no more opportunity to repent. That's one of the issues. Our health care systems are so good. And people are living longer than ever before. And we believe that whenever I'm ready to turn to God, I just turn. But the scripture clearly tells us the only reason you turn is because God called you in the first place. And you will never turn unless he calls you. There may be that moment where he is drawn, he's saying, come, and you say no, and he says, fine, and you will never again. Romans 1. And he gave them over to their depraved minds, right? Samson is showing us our sin. Living in sin causes you to minimize your weakness and exaggerate and, and exaggerate your strengths. Isn't that how we do? We, we in sin, we, we doing things we we not supposed to do. Well, I did. I did that. But I'm really good at this. You know, and yeah, I kinda, you know. We all human, you know. But I'm really good here. We have a way of minimizing those ways that we are sinful and exaggerating those areas where we are strong. And we want people to see where we're strong. We want people to think that we really got it all together. When on the inside, we're broken. And we're hurting and we're struggling. He's laying this out for us. Yeah, these are the people say, I I can stop whenever I want. Have you yielded to temptation? Six. The sixth thing. You have yielded to temptation when you have been blinded by sin. Verse 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. Here, Samson, who at one point in his life was able to do what was right in his own eyes, now he has no eyes. He's blind. See, but The thing about this text is, Samson was blind before verse 21. Samson was blind the moment he thought he could do whatever he wanted to do, even though God had called him for his purpose. Samson had been blinded to who he was created to be. Think about this. In 17, he tells Delilah, hey, I'm, I'm a Nazarite, and I've been so from my mother's womb. Okay. In Numbers chapter 6, it lays out the stipulations for a person who is going to be a Nazarite. And some of those stipulations is this person would not touch anything. They would not drink wine or touch any type of grape, anything that has to do with grapes. Well, in chapter 14, verse 10, we see that before his marriage, he threw a, a drinking party. So he broke that. And the second thing, they're, they're never supposed to go near a dead body, a dead carcass. What Samson breaks that in chapter 14, because when a lion comes out, he kills the lion. That's why he doesn't tell his parents. He broke his vow, and then he goes back to the dead carcass and gets the honey out. He's breaking his vow. That's why he doesn't tell his parents where he got the honey from. He's sleeping with women. And now he tells her, you can cut my hair. Those are three things that makes a Nazarite a Nazarite. He doesn't even know who he is anymore. He's so blind. He doesn't even realize that God had called him and set him apart for his purposes. In chapter 13, he tells his parents that I have set him aside to begin to rescue Israel. Sin has us so blind at times we forget who we are. We forget where we come from. And we forget that when God has called us to his purpose, he has a plan for us. And he has a way for us. But he's forgotten all of this. 
And he's blinded to where his strength really lied. He thought he was doing this. See, living in sin causes you to lose sight of the big picture. Because living in sin, you have a myopic, you have a very narrow way of thinking. You're just living for the moment. You just, you just want that check. You just want that drink. You just want that girl. You just want to go off. It's in the moment. When you're living in sin, you're very moment bound. And, but when God has rescued you and delivered you, you're able to step back and say, God, what do you really have for me? You're able to see the consequences of your actions when God has rescued you. This is the type of person who says, that's just who I am. This is the workaholic who is working, working, working for that promotion. All the while, his whole family is suffering. He's in the moment. doesn't realize the consequences. Seventh, you have yielded to temptation when sin has taken you to a dark place. Verse 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. Samson is captured. He's in a dark place because he can't visibly see anymore. His eyes have been gouged out. He's in a dark place. Then he's put in this prison. A dank, damp, dark place. And in this prison, he has no family. He no longer has a home. No freedom. No uh, companionship. No way of satisfaction. That's a dark place. But what makes it so dark is that the Spirit of God is not with him anymore. See, the ultimate dark place for Samson was when he reached the point where he didn't care about the consequences. That's the dark place. And some of us, we are living in dark places because living in sin will harden your heart. God is not able to get through to you anymore. You're just just doing, I just do what I want to do. This is where Ephesians talks about Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Not grieving the Holy Spirit. But then also, this is Isaiah 63.10, where it says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and fought and himself fought against him. You know, when we put ourselves in those dark places and it's like we can't get out, we feel like we're battling God himself. And you know what? Sometimes we are. Our hearts are so hard. We don't, I'm going to do what I want to do. I know, I know, I know. I know what I'm supposed to do. But, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. But, like, I, I know what the will of God is here, but I just don't care. You know you have yielded to temptation. You've been taken to a dark place. Like all of this, you know, it it makes me think of like the rich and famous, and you see some of those those stories on 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 the rise. And this band came up, and they was partying, and then all of a sudden they fell. No, think about people like Whitney Houston. Grew up in the church, singing gospel songs. Popularity grew, fame grew, access to whatever grew. And then all of a sudden, we watching the news, and we're like, she married Bobby Brown, what? And then we see this fall. We see this weird behavior. We see the change in the body. A different crowd of people she hanging with now. Can't really hit those notes like she used to. Just strange. And then the coroner who did the report after her death said it was a combination of like heart disease, 
But she drowned from complications of heart disease and cocaine in her system. Now, why do I say that? Not to scorn Whitney Houston or anything, but to give us a real live example. On like, just because you're going up, you can easily come down. Just because you think you got it together today and they don't, you can come crashing down just like everybody else, apart from the grace of God. See, but Samson's story doesn't end there. Verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. You you get that? But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. See, living in sin had brought Samson to a bad place. And the scenario is he's in prison. He's he's doing the lowliest job. And this man of great strength is now, he's shackled, he's in prison, he's in bondage. But even in Samson's lowest moment, we see hope because we see God. See, the glory of God is on display here because in this little verse, we see glorious mercy and grace. We see that God, who had committed to Samson, said that he would be a Nazarite until his death. So it it really didn't matter what Samson did because God had already declared what he was going to be. So because God had declared what he was going to be, the hair on his head began to grow again. See, God had already from a time, eternity past, had decided that he was going to call Samson to himself and use him for his purposes. So even in the darkest of places, Samson had a God who had a purpose for his life. It's mercy because Samson deserved to be put up under the prison for what he did to God. He turned his back on his people. He turned his back on his vows. He did. He raised hell everywhere he went. He was a, a, a sexually addictive, violent man. He deserved punishment. But God said, and the hairs on his head began to grow again. That's that's insinuating the fact that as soon as he gets his hair back, something's going to take place. But not only is that mercy, it's it's coupled and kissed with grace. Because not only does he deserve punishment, he don't deserve to have his hair to grow back. But this is grace because God has taken a natural ability, not because Samson wanted his hair to grow back. Not because Samson prayed that his hair would grow back. I'm not even sure if Samson wanted his hair to grow back. But God began to cause the natural process of the follicles to spread out apart from his will. That's that's, that's by grace. He didn't choose for this to happen, but it's happening nonetheless. In this verse... we see a picture of mercy, kiss grace. But in this verse, just like all of scripture, it points us to that perfect perfection, an image of mercy and grace, Jesus Christ. This text points us to Christ, because though Samson is a fallen judge, Jesus Christ is a righteous judge. And though Samson was shackled and beat down, Christ was shackled and lifted up. And as Samson goes to his death 
and he takes life with him. Jesus Christ goes to his death and he gives life to everyone. So when we look at Samson, we not only see ourselves in the sinfulness and the wickedness and the brokenness, but it is a picture of what Jesus Christ will be because he completes the mission of rescuing his people from the Philistines. This passage is nothing but a case study of our lives. This reflects, Samson is a reflection of Israel, is a reflection of us. Think about all our wrong affections. Think about our blindness. Can't nobody tell me none. Think about how we often yield to temptation. And some of us are in prison today. But I read my Bible. And Ephesians 2 and 4 says, But God, in his mercy, in his mercy, not, not because we did anything, but because he did everything. Not because our strength is sufficient, but because his strength is sufficient. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's God's grace and mercy that picks us up. So this morning, I'm calling us to press in to this gospel. Press in to the good news about what God has done through Jesus Christ. Press in to the fact that we have a triune God who is working on our behalf for our salvation, for his glory. Press in to the fact that you were a rebellious sinner, but God still loved you and has a plan for you. Press in to the fact that through repentance and faith, you can be saved. A strong man becomes weak, yet through weakness, Christ conquers. Because temptation quickly turns into deep-seated sin, you must humbly recognize when you have yielded to temptation. Where there is no king, The people do what's right in their own eyes. Who's your king? Have you yielded to temptation? Press into mercy. Press into grace. His name is Jesus. Let us pray.